0: Welcome to the UC Berkeley Data Science Education podcast. We're happy you're listening in today. In this space, you'll hear from a variety of distinguished data science educators and professionals. The individuals we'll speak with are diverse in experience and perspective, but share the common goal of shaping the future of data science education. Our idea is to have some informal conversations with the goal of creating community and let people hear from practitioners in this growing new field. My name is Eric Van Dusen from Data Science Undergraduate Studies in the Division of Computing, Data Science, and Society at UC Berkeley. And I'll be leading our conversation today.
1: And my name is Kalechi Nebedem, also from Data Science Undergraduate Studies. I'm working as an intern with the division's external pedagogy team, and I'll be helping out today, too.
0: Hey, everybody. Today, we have Jeremy Toulou. Jeremy, could you give us a brief introduction to yourself and what you're currently working
2: on? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, thanks for uh, inviting me. I'm really, uh, really happy to be part of the, of the show. So I'm a technical director at Quantstack, and I'm also a contributor to Project Jupyter. So I've been working in, on uh, Project Jupyter for many years, uh, mostly on projects like JupyterLab, uh, Jupyter Notebook, uh, Voila Dashboards, and also uh, Jupiter Lite.
0: Nice, I'm really excited about Jupiter light. I really think it's gonna has a potential to really affect the future in data science education. I was wondering could you just give like a general explanation about the Jupiter light project and the implications of how it might change things for educators
2: yeah so the the goal of the JupyterLite project is to um, pretty much run everything in a browser so usually when we speak about um, Jupiter we need a uh, you know, some kind of infrastructure in place. So you need a, a Python server to uh, to run uh, your kernels and you need a UI uh, to uh, interact with uh, your code and uh, extensions. And with uh, Jupyter Lite, the idea is to have everything uh, as a static files that you can serve very easily from a, a very simple HTTP server. So, so I would say the, the goal is really to make you know, access to interactive computing in a browser the easiest we can. Uh, so it's like super scalable and uh, you uh, don't need uh, to know a lot about um, administrating servers to uh, to get the setup up and running.
0: Scalable is something we're super interested in. I understand that you guys have a pretty big project with the French uh, school system. And uh, that's been one of the first big deployments for Jupyter Lite.
2: Yeah, that's right. So. Um, I think it was during uh, the 2020 uh, pandemic that uh, some folks at the uh, uh, University of Paris started looking into a solution to uh, make it easier for teachers uh, in uh, in France to uh, to teach uh, Python because it became uh, mandatory recently. So the professors were kind of surprised that they had to teach that. Uh, you know. And they didn't have really the tools in place. So some, uh, some folks in, uh, in the Academy of Paris started a project called uh, CAPITAL. It's using a, a Y instead of an I for the, the second syllabus. And they started to offer a, uh, a version of the classic notebook that they deployed statically. And uh, they were using also uh, Piodite as an uh, execution uh, for the, uh, the the kernel that runs in the browser, and uh, it started to uh, to be more and more used uh, over uh, over the month. So the year after, they were able to also scale that up to other uh, regions in France. And the tech they use is uh, is currently a fork of the of the classic notebook using a, uh, a Python compared to WebAssembly via Pyodite. But they are working on, uh, on using the JupyterLite and uh, uh, for their you know, the iterations that are planned for the, the coming year. And uh, that will bring a lot of things to, uh, to them for free, like a lot of features that were uh, implemented in lab and uh, the whole ecosystem. So it's very exciting. And I think, uh, as I checked, they had uh, a lot of users now. So I think something around 400,000 Uh, per month or something like this so it's quite impressive so yeah a pretty big deployment
0: that's amazing and it's amazing for you that you get to see like things that you build uh get sort of deployed at that scale you've also been involved with as you said all sorts of parts of project jupiter i was wondering if you had ideas of like where's the roadmap going over time is there is there are there new things coming that educators should know about
2: yeah there is a so triplet is a it's so one of them that is going to be very useful for, to educators. Uh, but we've also been working on the new version of the classic uh, Jupyter notebook. So that's the uh, notebook interface that keeps the notebook at the uh, the heart of the application. So it's more of a document centric uh, notebook application. And the classic notebook has been kind of uh, like a dormant project for many years. So it's not it's been not very maintained and. Uh, most of the effort has been on uh, on Jupyter Lab, for example, and the goal with uh, the notebook uh, seven version is to kind of rebuild a classic notebook but using the JupyterLab Lab components. So there are a lot of benefits uh, for doing this. So that means we can just uh, reuse a lot of the features that were implemented in Jupyter Lab and the whole extension ecosystem uh, for free. And uh, just make another application that looks like the classic notebook. So, of course, um, there are a lot of extensions that were built for the classic notebook that are not going to to be working. But um, the JupyterLab extension system is pretty mature now, so uh, most of these extensions already have a an equivalent in uh, in the lab world. So, uh, I think it's one of uh, it's very exciting because uh, the classic notebook is still used a lot uh, for education because it provides this minimal UI. You can just focus on the content. So that's, uh, it's still a, a very useful application. And uh, another advantage of um, kind of rebuilding uh, it from scratch using the Jupyter components is that we can then very easily just uh, distribute it as part of uh, another UI for Jupyter Lite. So it also becomes uh, available there uh, almost for free. Nice,
0: yeah, and I'll say as background, you know, Berkeley's been moving over to Notebook Seven and making sure that we're using Notebook Seven at scale. So for other educators out there, this is we have been learning from Jeremy about this uh, roadmap towards uh, Notebook Seven and and a longer future, like a like a like a longer horizon into the Notebook interface. Could you comment a little bit how the accessibility work is going for Project Jupiter?
2: Yeah, so. Accessibility is now a uh, of official uh, JupiterSoft project, so has a, there is an active group of people working on this, uh, and they meet uh, every uh, every two weeks. So that's really something that is uh, uh, now uh, part of the core development of JupyterLab. So there are a lot of issues uh, that are directly uh, being uh, fixed uh, in JupiterLab. So one of the most concrete example uh, that landed in um, JupyterLab 4, which is currently in uh, alpha, uh, is the switch to a more accessible code editor. So uh, we uh, updated uh, the Commuro from version 5 to 6, and this led to uh, very promising results when it comes to accessibility. So uh, because uh, Jupyter Notebook 7 is based on JupyterLab, we were able to also to uh, Uh, pull these changes uh, down in uh, Notebook 7 and then run uh, the accessibility uh, audit and we're super happy to see that it fixed a lot of issues so uh, if we can summarize this I would say that uh, it's a lot of uh, iteration work but uh, we're getting there Um, progressively so uh, especially compared to uh, the classic notebook which uh, suffers from uh, poor accessibility I think uh, it's going the right direction for sure
1: yeah that's really exciting to hear about all the work that you're doing towards making it more accessible uh and i feel like you guys have really sort of built a community around like users of jupiter and in january you guys actually hosted a community workshop with jupiter light so i'd love to know how that went and if it helped steer the project in any way
2: oh yeah it definitely uh helped uh Brainstorm ideas and uh, talk about the future of the project and all of the how all of the components should uh, you know fit together. Because uh, it was not only uh, contributors to the pro- uh, to the Jupiter project; it was also a good time to to bring some other folks uh, working on, the for example, on Pyodide, uh, which is the version of Python compared to WebAssembly, which is used by Jupiter Light, and also some folks from. Uh, Anaconda working on uh, PyScript, so it was a good way to kind of share like ideas and also like the roadmap for where we should go. So, like try to avoid to do the same thing in two different places. Like for example, managing uh, dependencies uh, from uh, from Conda or or uh, from uh, uh, PyPI, and these kind of things. Um, so that was the first uh, workshop uh, that was uh, in uh, in Paris in December. Uh, 2022 and uh, we had another, another one in uh, in January uh, about uh, uh, Jupyter for Education uh, those, this one was was also very relevant to uh, JupyterLite because uh, we're starting to see more and more people using uh, JupyterLite for their class because it's uh, much easier to, uh, to deploy and scale um, so that was also a good way to uh, discuss the, the pros uh, and the cons because Running things in the web browser also has limitations, so that's also something uh, we need to consider uh, when it comes to uh, you know making uh, things that used to work in the normal Jupiter also work in the browser.
1: Yeah, that sounds really cool. I'd love to hear a bit more about the work that you do with QuantStack and how that supports your role as a developer for Project Jupyter.
2: Yeah, so at QuantStack, uh, I would say pretty much we do. Is uh, open source, so every time we uh, we have to do something or we work with a a, a cloud, uh, it usually ends up somewhere in uh, in the packages we we maintain. So currently uh, we are focused on uh, two main tracks. One is about uh, Jupyter and another one is about uh, Mamba and uh, package management, and uh, some people are more focused on uh, one part. So, for example, I am a bit more focused on uh, on the Jupyter stack. But it's also kind of fun to see how sometimes things can just, you know, be uh, all uh, together. Like, for example, the case of uh, of Jupiter Light and uh, how you should manage packages in the browser. Uh, actually. Uh, we developed a solution using Mamba, so that you can pack the environment uh, more easily, and you get all of your packages available. So, so it's a bit like um, uh, in the end everything just meets up uh, at the end, yeah. And uh, that's quite satisfying actually. Uh, and also when it comes to um, yeah working in the open, this is also very uh, uh, very great. So you yeah, end up working with a lot of people actually not at Constack, but from uh, from the the whole community and uh, everybody has a lot of autonomy and responsibility for their projects so uh, most of us are kind of you know uh, well motivated and involved in the respective projects uh, in jupiter and mamba
1: yeah it sounds like it's very much a team effort which is really cool to hear how that all like all these separate projects come together to make something really cool and uh I'm using Jupiter in all my classes, and you're developing that product as well as other products that are being used by educators around the world. So, what is the process that goes through your mind or through everybody's mind when you're trying to understand what it is that educators need from a product like that?
2: Yeah, so for Jupiter, it's uh, sometimes it could be a bit uh, uh, complicated, I would say, because uh, it's a multi-stakeholder project, so there are a lot of people from uh, a lot of different backgrounds involved in the project and everybody has a uh, kind of um, a special interest or like they want to use the the tool for a specific need and uh, educators are part of uh, of that of course uh, but there are also other people who have uh, different opinions so i would say like a lot of the, the time uh, we spend on this project is also about uh, just talking of uh, to people and trying to to find something that uh, can you know please everybody. So uh, thankfully Jupyter is is a, is a tool that you can uh, very heavily configure. So that really helps a lot uh, when it comes to development, like uh, making something like a setting or a, a feature configurable is usually the way to go because then it could be configured uh, differently, for example, for a class or for educational purposes. Um, but apart from that, uh, so all of this happens online uh, most of the time, but we also meet up uh, uh, in person, so for example at the workshops like we were talking about, or at the uh, local meetups and uh, very often we meet uh, people from universities and it's always a good time to um, to discuss uh, about the tools and how they use them. And we also have some, uh, some fundings from uh, uh, universities sometimes to work on specific projects uh, that are related to uh, uh, education. So in that case, it's uh, like the, the feedback loop is, uh, is much uh, is much faster. Uh, so that's quite uh, quite nice to work like that.
1: Yeah, that's great that you guys really implement educators into your work process and really take their, you know, their needs into consideration as you build out the products. We've gotten to the end of the interview, and I'd just love to know if you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for the people who either do use or are going to be using Jupiter in the future, aka data science educators who are around the world.
2: Uh, I would say, uh, I think the future is bright. So, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, development happening recently on Jupiter, and I think... I have the feeling that the community is growing a lot uh, which is great when it comes to contributors but also uh, users and people who have feedback and uh, all of this uh, together it makes a very strong ecosystem and a strong ecosystem is very important uh, if you want to still be there around uh, in many years so yeah with all of these uh, developments we really hope that uh, uh, this is going to kind of lower the uh, barrier of entry for you know, accessing uh, uh, this kind of, of tools and also making interactive computing, uh, especially uh, in the browser with would uh, accessible to more people.
0: Nice. Thank you. Love it. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for, you know, coming to chat with us, but just thank you as well for all the work that you're doing. Like, we see the possibilities to expand the impact of your work, you know, are, are clear. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're interested in learning more about data science education resources, please subscribe to our Substack to get notified when we release any future podcasts and join our community Slack channel through the link provided in this episode's description. Thank you.